everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk. Good morning, I'm Emily. I'm Connect Pastor here at the Vineyard. Our co-lead pastors, Amos and Allison, are on sabbatical, and I just want to say thank you so much for giving them this opportunity to take a rest and a break, and I just feel like God is really going to bless them in this season of rest. So in the meantime, I am super excited to be here, and if you need anything, Steph and I are always available. I am privileged to get to introduce the series today. We started the series last week called Perspectives, and this is where two people from our family get to come and share with you. Uh, And I am just super excited. The first person we get to hear from is Christy Lopez. She is a dear friend of mine. And she is a wife, a mother of three boys, Mikhail, Malachi, and Milo. I just really love their names. And uh, Christy is one of these people that really loves people. And she might not say this about herself, but she has a real gift for explaining Jesus to people, for just making the message really clear. Uh, And I love that about Christy. I love her heart for marriages and seeing marriages thrive, her heart for children, uh, and her heart uh, for just so many things. So Christy, we are excited to have you up today, and you can come on forward. I'll help you with In my late 20s, I had the privilege of becoming shepherd to a flock of sheep. It was an unexpected turn in my life because my college education was plant-based and I didn't know anything about animal husbandry. But despite a shaky start, the end result was and still is a series of beautiful spiritual lessons and parallels. The farm that I worked for is a registered historic site in the hot and dry desert of Southern California. It has a rich history, starting as a location where Native Americans gathered food in the summer. Spanish missionaries occupied the region in the late 1700s, and from 1862 to 1884, it was a stagecoach stop. During the 20s, the property became a natural health resort for those in which modern medicine had failed to cure. The 1950s, it transformed yet again into a dude ranch for family getaways. And today, the 2,500 acres is a place of abundant peace. It is Southern California's largest lavender farm with 23 acres of lavender in total. The remaining 2,000 or so acres boast more than 700 olive trees, rosemary, tea tree, fruits of many kinds, farm animals, and hiking trails. In the early days of my employment on the farm, my main responsibility was the management of two-acre vegetable garden. Throughout the year, I planted, planned, and sold organic fruits and vegetables. In the summer months, we also conducted a farm camp for kids. The camp was a group effort with the main teachers being myself and a German gentleman about 10 years my senior who cared for the farm's livestock. As a vegetable grower, I took the kids on a tour of our garden and led cooking classes at the end of the week. 
During my second summer co-leading, my partner co-leading the farm camp, my partner announced that he was leaving his job as our shepherd. For a little while, other staff members threw hay to the sheep and the cows every morning, but it soon became clear that a replacement would be needed. Though I had worked for two summers alongside the shepherd, I did not have the knowledge to replace him. However, I was willing to learn and decided to take his position. The now retired shepherd spent five days training me and he was gone. I felt really unsure and overwhelmed because my new position had some big problems. The first problem was that the pasture did not have provision. The soil there was dry and the sheep often ran out of food to eat. And to solve this, the old pasture would open up the, or the old shepherd would open the pasture gates on the side and allow the sheep to graze alone on a nearby hillside. The grass on the hillside was almost always green, even in the summer, but the coyotes and mountain lions were there too. And pretty often we would lose sheep and uh, young lambs when they were allowed out there for grazing. And unfortunately inside the fence wasn't that much better. And this was one of the other problems, the second problem. The fence was only four feet tall. It was easy to jump over and dig under. And though the boundaries were there, they were not a defense against hungry predators. And at times, from my point of view, it seemed worse for the sheep to be within their safe boundaries um, because they were trapped when trouble came. When I became the new shepherd, I teamed up with the farm owners to create a safer and more provision-filled space for the sheep. We had a 10-foot electrified fence installed around the pasture. We rented a seed drill and planted native grass seed and added irrigation to keep the grass alive like it was on that hillside outside of the gate. And in time, this space became all that they needed to flourish. They, were, they have been able to give birth to their lambs and care for them in peace. There is ample food to eat and a safe place to rest. I often think about the high and sturdy fences. I wonder if, like boundaries can feel in our own lives, if the fences felt like a trap or like a burden or like being cut off from something that appeared to be good. I think about myself as their shepherd, knowing what the sheep did not know, that the fences were tall, strong, and electrified because I cared for them, because I wanted them to live in peace and safety, and because I was going to provide the things that they needed to thrive, and they would no longer need to risk their lives to meet their own needs. The sheep knew none of this, and they had to trust me. For more than a year, I've had two psalms written on a post-it note and tucked between the pages of my Bible. Psalm 23 is one, and Psalm 100 is the other. However, it is Psalm 23 that rings true to this period in my life. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. 
Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A closing thought that I'd also like to share is about the depth of intimacy that is available to the sheep that dwell within the pasture gates. Sheep are innately fearful because they are prey animals. Because of this fear instinct, I could not chase them in order to get closer. So to gain their trust, I would sit quietly by their food and their water and wait for them to come to me. Eventually, when I became a calm and familiar presence in their life, they drew near. They would come rub their faces on me or allow me to clean the wax out of their ears. And when lambing season arrives, the few that I knew best, Brownie, Freckles, and Number 23, brought their lambs over for me to meet as well. They trusted me with even their most vulnerable. And that's them. That's Freckles. And Brownie is on the left, and 23 is the little lady in the back. (laughs) Some of them, though, never came near. I felt sorry for them. They didn't get wax cleaned out of their ears. They did not receive any molasses treats. One of them wore 65 pounds of wool all summer because she refused shearing, and another died in childbirth because she got up and ran when I approached to help her. It was heartbreaking to witness their fear-driven self-destruction. My overall takeaway is that within God's gates, we are provided for, but there is a deeper layer. The shepherd is present, and we can choose to draw near or not. For the sheep, it was clean ears, a little something extra, and help when needed. For me, drawing near to my shepherd is in slowing down to watch little bugs fly over the grass in the setting sun, noticing the wonder of creation, of a plant growing from a tiny seed, or a new life entering the world. And in intimacy with my shepherd, I find help, hope, and pretty often something extra. And I would like to end with my favorite psalm, which is Psalm 100. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Thank you. I would love to just take a moment to reflect. Christy, thank you for that. So if you would just close your eyes.
for a moment. Um, Let's pray. Jesus, you are the good shepherd. You are like a friend, closer than a brother. Lord, you're also so loving and so kind that you would build a fence for us. Not because you have rules that you need us to follow, not because it's a punishment, but because it allows us to flourish. So Lord, I pray right now in this moment of silence, Jesus, would you come, would you give us a picture of us in a pasture with a beautiful, safe fence that allows us to flourish. And I pray that you would speak to us in a special way right now. So take a moment of silence. Imagine Jesus with you in a safe pasture. More of your love, God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Our next speaker today is Elijah Murray. It is such a pleasure to know him. I hope you all get the chance. Elijah is going to be a senior at Messiah College this year. He is studying cybersecurity. And just recently, in June and into July, he was able to take a civil rights bus tour, and today we get the privilege to hear more about this story and how God met him there. So, Elijah, welcome. Well, good morning, everyone. It's beautiful weather outside. Um, I swear, it's always raining on a Sunday and it sucks, but it is what it is. Um, Yeah, as you heard, just went on a civil rights bus tour. Everyone, literally while while I was on the trip, people were like, oh, you know, what are you doing? How's it been? Just like, man, let me get done with this first and then I'll let you know. So here I am, get to tell you guys, you guys are the first people to really hear this. But uh, I'm going to start with this verse that really stuck with me and just keep this in the back of your head as I'm telling the story. Uh, it's Luke 6, 35 to 36. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Remember that. So here we are. You could go to the next slide here. So this is the bus tour that we went on. Matt also went with me. Left from home, drove out to Messiah, actually. Took a van out to Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, which is right above Pittsburgh. Left 6 a.m. in the morning the next day. Drove eight hours down to um, Greensboro, North Carolina. From there, we stayed the night into Spartansburg, uh, South Carolina. Went to Atlanta. Albany, not Albany, Albany, Georgia. Then we went to Montgomery, to Selma, back to Montgomery, Alabama, Birmingham, Jackson, Memphis, or Tennessee, 
that we stopped at Henning, Tennessee, made our way back up all in one day, stayed in Middletown, Cincinnati, which is, or Middletown, Ohio, which is right outside Cincinnati, went to Canaan, Ohio, back to Beaver Falls, and now we're home. And as you see, we basically averaged two days on the bus. Um, so you can, my knees were dying afterwards, but, and we were, we were by the back, so the bathroom was there. Don't even get me started on that. Um, <laughs> so I'll give a little brief overview of this so we can get a little bit of a head picture. So we started in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, as I said. Um, went to the International Civil Rights Center and Museum uh, where they talked about the February 1. They were uh, four men who started the uh, counter uh, protest in America um, at the FW Woolworth, and that was a store. Um, you can read about that afterwards. The next stop was Atlanta. Uh, went to MLK's homestead straight. We went there on a Sunday. It was just a dwelling there. It was amazing. Um, beautiful weather. It was hot. Don't even get me started on that. Went to the Varsity, which is a very famous uh, lunch spot in Atlanta and in Georgia itself. Uh, as you can see, there's the um, resting place for MLK. And then that is his church right there that he would preach at. Um, Beautiful time there. Uh, second place we, or third place we went was all Benny, Georgia, where we met Rutha Harris, who was one of the first freedom singers actually in America. One of the first, or was the first group of freedom singers. Uh, you'll hear her in archival videos, documentaries, movies. I think she's actually singing in the Selma movie, if you know about that. Uh, there she is right there. She was actually, she sang for us in the church where she would used to sing. Um, and I'm telling you, the roof was about to come off. I, Jesus was there. Um, it was beautiful. Uh, next stop, Montgomery, Alabama. Um, just a ton of stuff here. Wish I could fit all the pictures there. Started at the uh, Rosa Parks Museum. There's a statue I'm with her right there. Uh, another church, there's a Greyhound uh, bus station where the protest would start there uh, for bus riding. Um, what else is there? Those three women right there, this is a story you need to get into. Uh, Michelle Browder uh, is an artist. She created those three statues right there, steel statues. Uh, Mothers of Gynecology is what they are. She actually has um, an episode on NPR. I highly uh, recommend you listening to it. But it basically talks about how those three women right there were actually put into basically a slave production. They were used as, you know, imagine a chicken, right? producing baby chicken's eggs. They were basically that. So very heartbreaking story. Very, you can get very deep into that. Um, yep, visited downtown. We also went to the Legacy Museum, lynching memorial. Uh, we'll get into that as we go. Uh, next stop was Selma. Got to uh, cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge, which was uh, amazing. Uh, what's her name? Linda B. Lowry, right there where me and Matt are sitting. She uh, was actually the youngest person um, to actually do the Selma march uh, and was actually hit. She, two, three years ago, she found video. The FBI brought her in um, and was like, that's you right there. And she was actually club hit in the back of the head, 14-year-old, by the way. And all, she doesn't remember. She thought she passed out. But as she, soon as she saw that video, she still is really recovering from um, seeing that video of how these men are just taking, like, beating up this 14-year-old for literally walking across the bridge. Um, so that is also a great story. Um, yep, we can go to the next one. Next stop was Birmingham. We didn't stay here that long, but we went to the 16th Street Baptist Church where the bombing happened. 
where the four uh, where our girls died in the basement there. Sorry, my um, sorry, be annoying. Um, yeah, there. So the two pictures up top, Miss Carolyn. She was actually the person who picked up the phone when the bombing was about to happen. Uh, where it says you have about three minutes to leave the premise or it will be bombed. She didn't know what it was talking about. Two minutes later, it happens. The woman to the left right there, that is actually a sister of one of the um, women, or girls that died that day. I'm trying to find her name. Can't remember. Um, you know what, what's your name? I can't remember. I'm blanking. Yeah, oh, Lisa McNair, thank you. Uh, she's a sister. She wasn't born yet, but her sister died. So she goes around the country, spreads the story as well. Uh, let's go to Jackson. We went to Jackson, Mississippi, the uh, Mississippi Civil Rights Museum, which she could spend all day there as well. Um, a lot of Mississippi history there with Mississippi in general and the civil rights. Um, so that was great too. And then one of our last stops was Memphis, Tennessee. This was probably what my, uh, the most fun I've had. Went to the National Civil Rights Museum which is where MLK was shot. Uh, then went to Stack Records, if you go to the next slide, um, which was by far my favorite. I have too many pictures from this place. Um, but it was just beautiful. It was um, basically the kind of the birthplace of American soul music. Uh, very good museum. Uh, second to last stop we had was Henning, Tennessee. Went to the Alex Haley Museum. Um, and he, if you guys know, the show Roots, us youngins will know about that, but um, there was a show about Roots which really helped um, bring the story back alive about, you know, American slavery and where our roots, you know, go back to in Africa. So it was really great. Last place we stopped was Canton, Ohio. We went to Clearview uh, Golf Club, um, which is where the first African-American designed uh, a golf course in America and very notable people have gone there. I can't remember this man's name, but he was also part of the Selma March as well. He, I think, had his story pretty impromptu. too. I don't think we were supposed to hear from him. But he was actually the car uh, in front, if you guys know who uh, Viola Lizu is, who actually was killed on the way back to, uh, from the Selma March. He was actually the car in front of her that happened, too. Um, so he had a very emotional story. And the biggest takeaway from this whole trip um, it's funny because before I left, the week prior to where all the places we were going to, there was a lot of tornadoes, a lot of storms. And if you know me, I'm the biggest weather geek out there. And so I was like, man, I really want to see a tornado. People would just look at me like, what, what are you talking about? Like, we're going to get killed. I was like, no, I want to see a tornado, but like not one that harms anyone. Like, I just want to see, I want to check it off. I've been through hurricane. I've been, I've been through all this stuff. I need to see a tornado. So the last night, it was a beautiful night. All of a sudden, we get this pouring down storm. And I actually have a video of Matt and I's reaction. We can put it up. And the video speaks for itself. Bro, the rain is going in circle. Oh my gosh. Do you know it's literally going in a circle, bro? Oh, oh my god, it's going in a circle. <laughs> Oh There's no way, bro. Oh There's no way a tornado's starting right here. We're literally, we're literally in the midst of seeing a tornado starting. <laughs> oh There's my god. There's no way a tornado's starting right there. Like, no, you guys stop. see it? No, stop. Oh my no, gosh. Stop. No, stop. There's no. I'm actually seeing a tornado. Bro, I can't get a good angle. 
I was more excited than scared, as you can tell. But people are like, well, if it was a tornado, like, why isn't the roof off the... It's a tornado. Don't ruin my surprise, all right? It's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it as a tornado. Uh, so, yeah, that's an overview of the Civil Rights Tour, uh, once-in-a-lifetime trip. If you guys ever have a possibility, I highly, highly recommend it. You will be hit and shocked. Um, and so we'll now focus on what I want to get across here, of course. So Wednesday was definitely the most emotional day we had. Uh, we went to the lynching museum, and then we also went to the Legacy Museum. Um, and they even told us Tuesday night, they're like, Wednesday is going to be emotional, so prepare yourself. So that night, Matt and I kind of prepared ourselves. And even before we left, we uh, prepared ourselves. We were praying, um, getting ready for the day. Uh, so let's see. Yeah, here are the slides. So uh, right the top row right there is actually the names of the people who were lynched in that county um, during that time. And they found this information literally just because Lynchings back then in the South was a celebration. You know, they would go to church afterwards. They would go out into the street and they would celebrate. Um, there's pictures, literally postcards of that happening. But all those names right there are the names uh, of the people who were lynched uh, that day or just in that county. All the people right there in the middle, that's all lynching in one day in Orange County, Florida. That's where Orlando is. Uh, Carroll County, Mississippi. I looked up. I can't remember where that is, but I looked it up. But there's 23 lynchings in one day, so they had 24 hours, had time for lunch break, you know, lynching. This one right here, Phillips County, Arkansas, is actually two hours outside of Memphis. There was 229 lynchings from the span of October 1st to 7th, um, and it was called the Elaine Massacre because it happened in Elaine, uh, Arkansas, as I like to say. Um, but yeah, this was very, very emotional. Um, too many plaques just to go across, didn't even get through the whole thing, and we were there for two and a half hours. Uh, we went to the Legacy Museum after that, uh, which I was just not ready for. Um, it really broadened back, it gave me a refresh of slavery and the slave trade. Um, it, was, it was just very emotional. I didn't even get through it. I got through like 45% of it, and we were there for three hours. A lot of people didn't make it through. But there was actually, at the end, there was this beautiful big yellow room with just pictures of notable African-Americans. And that was kind of just like a resting place for me afterwards. Like, wow, this is, this is amazing. So it was a great, um, great day, very emotional. And as we're walking to lunch, uh, Matt and I are talking. We get to lunch. We're having conversations about what we just saw, just processing. And, you know, that really glued us together as a group that day. We got to go know each other a little bit more. Um, it was amazing. So during lunch, we actually had a guest speaker come in, Anthony Ray Hinton. Um, he, is, he was actually prosecuted for first-degree murder, first-degree, I think, burglary. We'll know in the video. Um, and he was actually on death row for 30 years for a crime he didn't or did not do. And the state also knew that he was uh, not responsible for it either. And I don't even have... I think it's better for him to tell the story himself than me to kind of get my words straight. So uh, we can pull the video up. I was cutting grass. I just happened to look up, and there's two white gentlemen standing there. And I, I said, can I help you? And they said, yes, we're looking for Anthony Ray Hinton. And they identified themselves as detectives. And they said, we have a warrant for your arrest. And I said, for what? He said, we're charging you with first-degree attempted murder, first-degree robbery, and first-degree kidnapping. 
I said, well, you got the wrong person. I ain't done none of that. And he continued to look at me and he said, you know, I don't care whether you did it or didn't do it, but I'm going to make sure you be found guilty of it. And there's five things that are going to convict you. He said, number one, you're black. Number two, a white man is going to say you shot him. Whether you shot him or not, I don't care. He said, number three, you're going to have a white prosecutor. Number four, you're going to have a white judge. And number five, more than likely, you're going to have an all-white jury. And he continued to look at me. And he said, you know what that spell? Conviction, 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 conviction. And true enough, they found me guilty. And so I went to death row for 30 years. I never did pray, God, please free me. I thought that was selfish. But I didn't want the world to believe that my mom had raised a son that was capable of taking another human being life. And so I asked God to let the truth come out. I knew if the truth would come out, then I would come out. And that's what happened. Very emotional story, very inspiring story he has, and we'll get to it. Um, one piece of information that they left out, um, he actually got three uh, people, three investigators that could investigate the bullets that were used to kill the person that was shot. Um, the bullets did not match, thank, or, of course, and the attorney general at the time actually denied talking to Anthony Ray Hinton and his lawyer. Um, and just for an hour of the time, just to show him the evidence that they found. Um, and just for that reason, he was on death row for another 16 years. Um, so, yeah, he was tell as he was telling this story, he took a dramatic turn. And even when he started talking about it, I was like, what is he talking about? I honestly thought um, it was kind of an imagination that he was having while he was in prison. And he calmly said during that time, he just did not, he could not forgive could not really get himself in front of a white person and hear him truth, hear them truthfully. Um, so the first four years he was in prison, he did not touch his Bible. He said he tucked it under his bed. Um, and then this Jesus story just happens out of nowhere. Uh, so he actually met the Grand Wizard's son, the Grand Wizard of the KKK's son on death row. The reason why the Grand um, Wizard's son was on death row was because um, he found a black man jumped him in his car, stabbed him 65 times, and he wasn't satisfied. He then took him to the street, took him to the uh, pole, hung him there, still was not satisfied. From then, he then uh, cut off his genitalia. He said, I'm satisfied. The police came, arrested him. He was on death row. And a lot of people during that time was just like, you know, how, how were you able to talk to him? And so... In prison, I mean, Ray, he, he didn't really talk that much anyways, but he actually started a book club um, for the inmates there because he wanted to love on them. He was like, you know, these people are here, but in the end, Jesus loves them, so I should love them. And so as he was in this interview with his cousin, and he says this, Henry, who is the Grand, Wizard, Grand Wizard's son, Henry was born Henry Francis Hayes, not KKK Henry Francis Hayes, I explained to her that as he got older, Henry went to Klan meetings, teaching him more hate, 
But once Henry came to death row, the very people that he was taught to hate taught him love and compassion. Henry changed, and I saw the change. And like I said earlier, Ray was, I'm calling Anthony Ray, Henson Ray. Ray became very uh, angry, but did not condemn the other people while he was on death row. Um, instead, he treated them the same, like I said, because Jesus loved them. And that's kind of a, you know, a focal point on what righteous anger is, and we'll get into that later. Um, love actually gave Ray a reason to live while he was on death row. And he remembered what his mom told him, and he loves his mom, looks up to her to the greatest. Um, the only thing that God can't do is fail. And he knew that God was love, and that love never fails. Uh, and so he showed God's love to them. Like I said, he started a book club. Henry joined in. Ray told jokes. Um, he was even telling the jokes to us while we, he was telling us the story. Um, and during that time, he actually really led Henry back to Christ. He became very good friends with him um, until he was killed, was actually with him when he was killed. Had, they actually had their last meal together. Um, and during that time, um, Henry finally confessed um, on the night of his execution, he finally admitted that all his life, his father, the Grand Wizards of the KKK, lied to him, and that now he knows what love is. And that is a direct quote from Anthony Ray himself. Um, now, we're in the present day. Uh, Anthony Ray Hinton is now out of uh, death row about, I think, five years ago now, sometime. Um, and he's now going out to colleges and universities, conventions, sharing his story from a love and compassion way, um, because he believes that anyone can learn love if they know that they are loved. Um, and as soon, like, I have not cried the entire trip, but he, when he told the story, I was just like, how can you go? How, after hearing all of this stuff from this morning, from the lynching museum to the legacy museum, and I'm just like, how are these people morally okay to do what they were doing? And this man just met the Grand Wizard's son, brought him to Christ. I'm just like, how do you do that? You know, like, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's inspiring. It makes you want to live a different way in the moment. And I'm, I'm crying. I'm just listening. I'm looking, looking at him. I go up to him just like, please, like, oh, my. Like, you saw the picture. Like, I was with him. I was with him. He was amazing. Um, but the four takeaways I took from that story is that you've got to turn your hate and anger into compassion and love for people. You need to find the righteous anger, right? You know, that fleshly anger is not the one, and we'll get into it a little later as we go back to the verse. Um, keep the Lord in charge of justice. The hate and anger will turn into what Henry was. You know, Henry was, he, uh, his fiction was on the hate, but it was then turned into love. You need to find the righteous anger, and you need to have love for your enemies. This was Anthony Ray's biggest, one of his greatest enemies, and they became good friends, and he brought them to Christ. And it's mind-blowing. It's really a shocking. Um, so we're going back to the verse now, Luke 6, 35. And this story itself, uh, Anthony Ray Hinton's story itself, is a reflection of this verse, and we can break it down. Uh, but love your enemies. Do good to them. One, he loved, he loved one of his greatest enemies. That's right there. Two, do good to them. He did good to him and saved a man and turned him to Christ. And lend them without expecting to, uh, expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. You know, as he said in the video, I did not want to be free. I just wanted the truth to come out. He got a bigger reward that he was looking for. The truth came out finally, and that's a whole other story that could be a sub-TED talk. 
But um, he came out. The truth and the freedom finally he uh, got his reward. Um, he led his life with compassion and love, right? Um, and the Lord rewarded him with his freedom and a seat in heaven for him. Uh, for 36, be merciful just as your father is merciful. To this day, the state of Alabama has not forgiven Anthony Ray Hinton for what they have done for him or given him any reparations. And every year he puts in his, he puts in his request for it. They deny it. They act like they don't see it. So in that state, he's being merciful to the state of denying and apologizing and not giving him his reparations. It is a straight reflection of this verse, and I'm blown away by it. Um, so what are the takeaways? You know, what do we do with this information that I just put onto your face? You know, it can be condemning. It can feel like, wow, like this really, how, how did I not know about this? Well, the worst of the worst is turned into a story of being faithful and spreading God's love among his people. Um, and this story is being now spread over all over the world. And when people hear about this, it can really be mind-blowing. Um, it inspired me to live with more love and compassion and not just hate towards people uh, and to remember righteous anger and that God is a God of justice. And I know I've said righteous anger a few times. And what is that? Anger comes from the human flesh, right? You're looking for revenge. It would have been very easy for Anthony Ray Hinton just to come at a whole negative attitude to uh, Henry uh, and just leave him be. But no, he brought him in. He used that anger, right? The righteous anger comes from the Holy Spirit and is looking for a compassionate, positive outcome from that anger. You know, he used that anger that he had, and he turned a man's life. He changed a man's life. And there's still more to that story that we could get into, but it is the logistics of it. You know, it shows it right there, right? Uh, trust and confine in the Lord. Ask him what you want, and he will love and work through you if you remain faithful to him. Right? This whole time, you know, the first year, four years, Anthony Ray Hinton didn't touch his Bible. He got back into the Word, and the, the Lord worked through him. You're right? It was, it's a story that turned into a calling. Right? He used his love and compassion to bring people to the Lord, to use that anger to become a better person of himself, to be a shining light in probably the worst you know, environment you can be for in, for 30 years of your life. Right? Um, and like I said, we all have a story that can turn into a calling, right? We may not see it, and we may not enjoy it. I guarantee you he probably did not enjoy 30 years staying in death row. Even if he didn't enjoy it, there's still that righteous anger that he used was that positive outcome of that anger that helped him change his life, helped him change Henry's life, and helped him change many more people's life. And he's... You know, we heard his story. He was still a little bit emotional, but he was strong and pride. Like, you know, he was boisterous about it. He was laughing, having a good time. And he's allowed that not to take over his life. He's looked, you know, what is the end goal? The end goal is being with Jesus, right? You know, you use your time in the worst of the worst to spread God's love, to spread his compassion. Um, so, yeah. It's a very inspiring story. I mean, you can get his book. I forget the name of it. Uh, thank I got mine for free. He has a little signature in it, so I'm living life. Um, but, you know, you could go hours and hours onto this story. And uh, he has uh, podcasts. He has videos. It's a, it's a hands-down Jesus story. Um, so, yeah.
Thank you for sharing, Elijah. As Elijah was talking and reflecting on Christy's story and Elijah's stories together, I just got this really sweet picture of Jesus weeping. Um, and you know the story. It's the shortest verse in the Bible that Jesus wept. And I can imagine Jesus weeping over sheep that don't want to come close to him, over the evil in this world that he did not ever desire to have. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.